1: Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption. This is
3: The Richard Serrett Show. I want all
4: of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window,
5: open it, and stick your head out and yell I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore.
3: I ask you not only to win the battle, but to win the war. I'm feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes, if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade
0: of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. You're out of order.
3: You're out of order. The whole trial is out of order. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature, and you. Hey hey Jacob, did you hear about this? This is late breaking news. The San Francisco 49ers received three mail-in touchdowns late 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 last night. They are now Super Bowl champions. Imagine that. Incredible how that happens. Reminds me of something, I'm not sure. Anyway, hey, welcome to Tuesday. Friday, Eve, Eve, Eve. Now you see, Jacob, now you're regretting not inviting me to your Super Bowl party because I would have been the life of the party. (laughs) Uh, Tuesday, Friday, Eve, 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 Eve. Interesting clip I just saw on uh, Fox News. President Joe Biden, very adamant, very angry, yelling, I do not need a cognitive test at a pigeon. He was nothing from Jacob. He's busy eating lunch. He was yelling at a pigeon. I don't need a cognitive test. Texas Lieutenant Governor uh, Dan Patrick, who is a Republican, is pushing a, a very interesting and I think plausible scenario today actually on Friday, my apologies, he posted this on Friday, Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. He posted on X that he believes the Democratic deep state run by former President Obama is seeking to prevent President Joe Biden from being the Democrat presidential nominee this fall. I think there's a great deal of truth to this. Patrick said or tweeted, I've said for over a year, many times that Joe Biden would not be on the ticket and Michelle Obama would be the likely nominee. Patrick posted on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter. It's clear the Democrat deep state run by Barack Obama knew they had to take him down to give them a chance in November. Patrick alluded to the controversy Thursday when a special counsel who had been previously appointed to a position by former President Trump issued a report that said no criminal charges would be brought against Biden for his handling of a classified document or classified documents outside a secure setting. Again, no criminal charges would be brought against Biden. The report made numerous negative references to Biden's age and memory, which were seized upon by Republicans. Biden then fiercely rebuked the report and tried to take questions at a Thursday night news conference where at one point he confused Egypt's president as the president of Mexico. Some Democrats have acknowledged problems with the uh, news conference, press conference, while many Democrats have pointed fingers at the special counsel and suggested the report included cheap political shocks. Texas. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick saw a broad conspiracy involving the deep state and the Obama family. He argued the report itself was a setup. I think that's true, or at least very, very possible. They set him up in the report, calling him a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory, wrote Patrick. They could have protected him by putting him in the Oval Office to read a statement with no press questions. Instead, they sent him out and fed him to a press fed him to the press where he was a total embarrassment. He doesn't have a memory and Kamala doesn't have a brain. Now they have a real problem. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Theories that former First Lady Michelle Obama could be a sleeper Democratic presidential candidate have filled the airways for years. She's one of the most famous and well-liked political figures in the country, but has indicated less than no interest in running for office. Well, I don't know. Will she or won't she? I'll get into that uh, with author, political analyst, documentary filmmaker Joel Gilbert in hour two. I'll ask him also, is the Obama deep state working behind the scenes to dump Biden, who's trailing Trump in all of the polls, all of them? Popular vote battleground states, you name it, Republican polls, Democratic pollsters, he's just getting hammered. So the Obama deep state working to get rid of him. And will Michelle Obama be the nominee? Joel Gilbert, author of Michelle Obama 2024, her real life story and plan for power. He's also director, producer of a, a documentary of the same title, and he'll be here in hour two. Toronto Police Chief Myron Demkew, he's got a choice. He's got a choice to make, and he better make it quick. He can either do his job or step down, get out of the way. He needs to find out who those pro-Hamas thugs were last night, blocking access to Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto. Do his job, find out who they were, and arrest them and charge them. And start taking a very tough line against all of these pro-Hamas thugs immediately. Or he has to resign. Get out of the way. Enough. Blocking access to a hospital is a clear violation of Canada's criminal code. The pro-Hamas creeps were chanting support for Hamas terrorists in front of Mount Sinai last night. And of course, Mount Sinai Hospital has deep Jewish roots in the city. It was established by Jewish doctors because they had nowhere else to train or work because of anti-Semitism. Bill C-3, which was introduced in the House of Commons in December of 2021, outlines enhanced protections for health care workers and under Canada's criminal code, including make it, making it illegal to intimidate a health care worker. Or those who assist them from performing their duties or to prevent a person from obtaining and accessing health services. The offenses could lead to imprisonment of up to 10 years if indicted or two years less a day if preceded by summary conviction. And again, it is way, way past time has due for toronto cops to start arresting these anti-canadian pro-terrorist thugs start arresting start charging find a judge that's gonna convict and send some of these jerks away for a long time 10 years start sending that message it's time to start taking a very hard line against these creeps and if demq isn't willing to do that starting like yesterday step aside And let's how about getting a Toronto police chief who's actually willing to stand up for Jews in Toronto? Enough of this cowering. Apparently, there was one brave doctor at Mount Sinai went out to confront the pro-Hamas, pro-terrorist thugs because the cops wouldn't do it. And then he turned to the police to intervene and they said, well, we can't really do anything because there are so many of them and so few of us. Are you kidding me? Call in backup. Call in the mounted police, not the RCMP. I'm talking about Toronto cops on horses, big, heavy horses. They did that to shut down a barbecue joint during COVID. You won't do that because terrorist sympathizers are blocking access to a hospital? Are you kidding me? How pathetic? Actually, it's worse than pathetic. Doing nothing is not an option here. Because someone is going to get hurt or killed because of these pro Hamas thugs that are taking over the streets and they feel like they can, they can do whatever they want because they can, because the Toronto cops let them. And now they're feeling more and more emboldened. And that's on the Toronto police chief. You got to get tough on these jerks and you got to do it right now or step down before someone gets hurt or killed. Coming up on the show today, uh, Jason Nelson, U.S. Army and Marine veteran and founder of Prepper Naturals, will be here. Second hour, last order of business to help us prepare and thrive during an emergency. Could be an EMP. Could be an EMP. Uh, total breakdown in civil order. Another uh, Trudeau election victory. That would be a disaster. That would qualify. World War Three. He'll help us not just survive, but surthrive. And he's, again, last order of business, hour two. Also in hour two. Things are a little bit in flux here. Got some moving parts, but that's okay. It's live radio. I mentioned Joel Gilbert, the author of um, Michelle Obama, 2024. her life, her real life story and plan for power. He'll be here. There's a documentary of the same name. He'll be our feature interview in hour two. At some point, we're going to work Tom Korski into the mix, managing editor of Black Locks Reporter. He'll tell us everything we need to know about the arrive can scandal. If you, um, if you want to witness the recklessness of the Trudeau government's billion dollar drug strategy, just, Travel east on the 401 to Belleville, where the mayor there has declared a state of emergency following a surge of overdoses in that city. Ter- ter- uh, Tamara Ugolini from Rebel News is next with the sad details. Do we have Tom Korsky next, actually? Oh, great. All right. Tom Korski, managing editor Blacklock's reporter. Everything you need to know about the Arrive Can scan. Dole, Tried to make that rhyme. Arrive, can, scan. Dull. All right. The Richard Serrett Show. Uh, can you believe it? The San Francisco 49ers, 49ers, Jacob. Now Super Bowl champions after finding 3 mail male-in touchdowns. The Richard Serrett Show. He's not buying it. The Richard Serrett Show off and running for Tuesday, February 13th in the year of our Lord, 2024. Fact and not
5: verba. We're back as The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM.
3: All right, welcome back. Canada's Auditor General Karen Hogan says the Arrive Can cock up is the worst she's ever seen. That's saying a lot. During the last uh, eight years, this is the worst. This is we've hit bottom, folks, with the arrive can scandal. Tom Korski, managing editor, BlackLocks reporter is here. Hey, Tom, how are you?
6: I'm well, thank you, Richard.
3: Um, so for those that have been living in a cave uh, for the last couple of years, if you had to sort of provide a summary of what this whole arrive can scandal is all about, uh in, say, 90 seconds or so. Could you do that for us?
6: Oh, 90 seconds is generous. (laughs) Richard, uh, at the height of the pandemic, the Canada Border Services Agency that's responsible for controlling our borders introduced and mandated use of an app called ArriveCan, and the idea was that cross-border travelers must pre-submit proof of vaccination prior to arrival in Canada. So far, so good. At the best, it was found merely irritating until it was determined the Canada Border Services Agency lied to Parliament about the cost of the program. They initially said in a house tabling it was only $19 million. And then with subsequent disclosures, identities of phantom contractors, it was determined it cost $54 million. And then we found out this week, the Auditor General said, actually, it's about $59.5 million, but we don't really know because records are missing. Well, you can't do that in the government of Canada. Where did all the money go? Well, they know that there were suspiciously small contractors who received sweetheart deals. One case, literally, uh, the smallest of small businesses called GC Strategies, uh, operating out of a private home in uh, Woodlawn, Ontario, two employees, the two partners, got $19 million in contracts, and then subcontracted all the work after taking what they estimate was a 30% cut. They became millionaires on this deal, but they didn't even have to bid on some contracts. And on other contracts, they got to write the terms so that only they could get it. Confidential agency investigation reports uh, that have been read into the record by MPs suggest bribery, fraud, and destruction of thousands of emails involving who the mystery managers were who arranged these unbelievably lucrative contracts. That's the story. Um,
3: Okay, so it it almost, it sounds like, Business as usual for the liberals. Uh, and it's $60 million, which is a lot of money. Uh, although I'm trying to remember uh, who was the um, the minister that lost billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars in contracts. Um, yeah, it's bad.
6: Well, you, you just identified half the front bench. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, you exactly. know what's different? You know, you
1: what is different?
6: different here? Yeah. I can tell you. And this comes – down to a a, a root allegations that imply corruption. There is no evidence that cabinet directed any of this or was even aware. This is senior management within the public service. Now you're getting into Zaire. Mm -hmm. Now we are the Zimbabwe of the G7, where you will have contractors who will have enjoyable private dinners, with government executives, and they're going to cut up the contracts. And when it gets a little bit hot, then records will be destroyed. What's going on right now, right today? Chair of the Commons Government Operations Committee, Kelly McCauley, Conservative MP Edmund West, has said, we're, going, we're sending out subpoenas, we're getting to the bottom of this. All of a sudden, no one wants to testify. They will compel testimony, and they will compel documents. They want to know exactly where the money went And who got what? This one is bad, Richard.
3: Who controls the Public Accounts Committee? The Liberals, right? And their NDP partners.
6: Public Accounts Committee is conservative chaired and has Ah. been for opposition chaired for 60 years. Government Operations Committee is opposition chaired and has been by tradition. Ah. That's why there are very active committee investigations. And of course, minority parliament, the Liberals don't have the vote, by the way. You say a parliamentary committee is going to compel documents and issue subpoenas for testimony. People say, ah, so what? That's theater. No, no, my friend. They have the weight of a court order. They have extraordinary powers that are rarely used but not unprecedented. If you receive a subpoena from a commons committee and you say, to hell with those guys, I'm not going to testify. They can send out a bailiff. They can take you into custody. They can send you to the Carlton County Jail, and you can spend the night under the 24-hour light bulb burning with the screaming in the next cell block while you consider your career options. It's happened. They can do it. MPs are fed up on this one.
3: So you're saying that this wasn't wasn't approved by cabinet, didn't go through cabinet process. It was all done by senior bureaucrats, senior management. That's exactly right. If that's the case, is this would that likely lessen the political uh, impact or the 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 blowback for the liberals? Because it's it's not going to touch cabinet ministers necessarily. It's going to be senior senior uh, administrators.
6: But holy mackerel, who's in charge, Richard? Hmm. This is why they're appointed to cabinet, take an oath and get a car and chauffeur. It's not just about posing and drawing a salary. And if that's the kind of department you want to run, where you have to watch your managers like a like a hawk to make sure they're not ripping off taxpayers, but you're too busy, you're too busy being performative or ironic in the House of Commons, well, why do we even bother voting? <laughs> right. This goes back to core responsibility.
3: All right, we'll take a quick time. I'll back with more of my conversation with Tom Korski, BlackLocks reporter, BlackLocks.ca, BlackLocks.ca. Back with more of The Richard Serrett Show in three minutes.
5: Let's get back at it on News Talk Saga 960 AM. It's The Richard Serrett Show.
3: Tom Korski, managing editor, BlackLocks reporter is with us. The Arrive Can scandal. Uh, how does this compare – to the um, ad scam or the sponsor- sponsorship scandal during the Khrushchev uh, government?
6: Interesting. Uh, there's That was uh, more money. It was over $100 million, And that was direct political, absolutely 100% direct political interference right from the prime minister's office. Uh, that's what drove Khrushchev out of town on a rail. Uh, there were, I believe, uh, four convictions resulting in uh, jail sentences for some contractors and the exposure of a fraud ring within the uh, Department of Public Works that sent a manager to the penitentiary. This one is different in that, there, as we mentioned, there is no uh, direct political involvement that is known to date, and no one has implied it. Uh, it's merely jungle law. It's, this is what happens to uh, uh, federal executives who are given generous budgets and no oversight. There's going to be theft. Let's be frank. Taxpayers were robbed on this. When the auditor says you paid too much, that means you were ripped off. Millions of dollars. It's not an exaggeration, Richard. Contractors became millionaires out of this. At the same time, small business was failing and COVID deaths and injuries, and people were upset. Some people did really well. Privacy, uh, the pandemic was the best thing that ever happened to them.
3: Right. Uh, So... GC Strategies, this is the two-man consulting firm, again, working from a private home in Woodlawn. They get $19 million worth of contracts. Uh, I'm guessing what? They'll be the first. They haven't uh, volunteered to come forth to to testify before the committee. They'll be subpoenaed. I'm guessing those will be the, the first two subpoenas to go out.
6: Interestingly, they've testified twice, and then the story keeps changing. And the Commons Government Operations Committee said, come on back, boys. We've got some more questions for you because there's some gaps in the story. And now that the RCMP are investigating contractors associated with ARRIVECAN, GC Strategies partners don't want to show up anymore. As if they had a choice. But you have now the Auditor General of Canada and the Procurement Ombudsman for the entire government of Canada that cite irregularities in the awarding of contracts to these people. My favorite, this has been demonstrated by the auditor, I'm quoting, the company was involved in setting the requirements of a competitive contract that only it could win. It was only GC Strategies that actually met the requirements, quote unquote. This is why Auditor Hogan says, this is the worst I've ever seen, but this is a, forgive me. A shortcoming in the auditor's report. She follows the footprints in the snow that lead up to the shed door. (laughs) But she doesn't open the door. Because if you open the door, now you're starting to get into what may become a police investigation. I don't know why she hesitated, but she did. MPs have no such qualms. Allegations of bribery. So, suggesting what?
3: officials within uh, the public safety ministry were paid off for this contract?
6: If I worked at Canada Border Services Agency, this is completely hypothetical, of course, Richard. Mm-hmm. If I worked at the Canada Border Services Agency and I cut a $19 million check for a guy I like to go shoot pool with, I know I'm making him rich. What did I get out of it? Was Am I just a hopeless incompetent? Did we ever talk about money? Did that ever come up? Were there any emails that discussed this fabulous awarding of contracting that made this little company really rich? Well, we'll never know, because according to one uh, committee report, uh, this is the private investigator's report, That when I say private, I mean confidential Canada Border Services Agency investigator's report, right into the record, Commons Government Operations Committee by Conservative MP Larry Brock from Bradford, Brad, Ontario. 1,700 emails were erased, an executive erased. He heard the police knocking on the door and he attempted to delete 1,700 emails. I wonder what they said. (laughs) I'm guessing it wasn't a good news story, but we know he didn't want the police to see them. It just gets better and better.
3: Uh, Bill Blair and Patty Hydu. Um, are they likely to be jettisoned from cabinet? Are they going to be the ones made to
6: pay in the immediate? Ironically, ironically do you know who, who was in charge of Canada Border Services Agency at the time? It was, it was your friend Marco Mendicino. Ah,
3: mendicino. He's already
6: been fired. He's already been fired from cabinet. You can't fire him twice.
3: Wow. Um, is this enough to bring down a government?
6: I think the uh, entire concept of unaccountable contracting, we know the feds borrowed and spent half a trillion dollars. You and I have discussed, Richard, there have been rational, serious, sincere, nonpartisan people have said we have to have a judicial inquiry to what went on here. Other countries have had such inquiries. I've always thought that if there is ever a, a serious investigation, not the RCMP, God bless them, but people who understand white collar shenanigans, uh, there will be people go to jail. I think it's a big deal.
3: Tom Korski, managing editor, Black Locks, reporter, support independent media, blacklocks.ca. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Richard. When we come back. You want proof Trudeau's billion-dollar drug strategy has not only failed, but has resulted in tragedy? Head on up the 401 to Belleville. Tamara Ugolini from Rebel News is next with that story. Stay with us.
0: Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D.
5: You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on New Stock Saga, 960 AM.
3: Hey, welcome back. Let me ask you, why is it every time you walk in the bank, you're constantly bombarded with woke propaganda? What would happen, do you suppose, if you called your financial advisor and told your advisor what you really think about the state of our nation and the need to protect your capital? Wouldn't go so well, I'm guessing. Well, the financial advisors at the big banks and other large financial services companies aren't looking to partner with conservative patriots like you. So why are you partnering with them and letting them manage your hard-earned wealth? Rocklink Investment Partners is a patriotic and thoroughly conservative Canadian company that's aligned with your values and they understand your concerns. So let them show you how to develop a financial plan that works for your family and isn't filled with all the liberal talking points. Give Rocklink a call at 905-631-5462, 905-631-5462, or email at info at rocklink.com, info at rocklink.com. That's Rocklink with a C, -C R-O-C-K-L-I-N-C. All right, let's find out what's going on. Up the 401 in Belleville, Tamara Ugolini with Rebel News is here. A state of emergency declared by the mayor last week, uh, Tamara. What what the heck is going on there?
2: Yeah, Belleville is, uh, I guess, in a state of crisis with their opioid. Uh, epidemic. And so last week on Tuesday, there was a string of overdoses, 14 overdoses in the span of one hour. Wow. Uh, that um, overnight they saw, I believe it was uh, Wednesday morning, there was upwards of 20 overdoses just in that short time span. And so this prompted the mayor of Belleville, Neil Ellis, to declare a state of emergency, which of course opens up the door to receive additional federal and provincial funding um, in an attempt, I suppose, to try to address this, what they're calling a toxic drug supply and the fallout of that. Uh, So word on the street. So we headed down there uh, on Wednesday, I believe it was, uh, sorry, Thursday last week. We headed down to Belleville to check out the scene and talk to some local residents on the street. And um, what we discovered was there is the suspicion that there is a certain elephant Tranquilizer called xylazine. It's now making its way into the drug supply, and um, that may be responsible for what's happened in Belleville. But the downtown core is uh, just a mess. You know, the businesses are boarded up. What's left of them? Uh, don't they don't feel very confident in where the the city is going? You know, it's a city of only fifty five thousand residents, rural uh, southeastern Ontario. And um, one particular business owner had been on in his location for forty five years, and he has never seen anything like this in his decades of experience, both as a business owner and and, and just an elderly gentleman.
3: An elephant tranquilizer working its way into uh, the the illicit drug supply. Unbelievable. And this is um, sort of happening in close proximity to the Bridge Street United Church in Belleville. What is the connection?
2: Yeah, so the the church there offers outreach to homeless and what they call vulnerable people. Um, So those, I guess, on the brink of homelessness or in various states of Poverty, almost in poverty. Um, so they they supply outreach services, food, clothing, showers, etc. And the 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 street out front of this particular church on Bridge Street East in Belleville uh, is just littered with people in various states of disarray, whether it be they're homeless or they're also uh, addicted to illicit drugs, Um that particular street, uh, on Tuesday afternoon. So in broad daylight last Tuesday afternoon, people just started dropping like flies after using this particular strand of, of drugs. Uh, five, one gentleman said he watched five people go down just bang, bang, bang one after the other. And it was obviously overwhelmed the emergency services to the point where the mayor then had to, or, or felt compelled to declare this state of emergency, um, and the thing that we're hearing as well when we're out here talking to people on the street is the the supply or the batches that are causing overdoses is actually what is sought after by illicit drug users because it's the most powerful, potent stuff on the market. And if they hear that people are overdosing on it, that's what they want to get their hands on. They're willing to go the extra mile. They're willing to pay more Almost for like that particular strain. It's it's like it's like it's well. What is, what you, is, you would think yeah. that, that you would have a death wish at this point, but because we have naloxone and these other uh, things to sort of revive people out of this state of overdose um there isn't that that inherent fear i think any longer that hey these if i do these toxic drugs i may overdose and die now you hear more and more i overdosed but i didn't die because there's naloxone um, but the more potent and powerful these drugs get like if for instance if there is in fact xylazine this elephant tranquilizer the naloxone is no longer effective the more powerful and potent the drug becomes so it it's, it's um, you know, and, and opening this gateway to additional funding, um, is that going to be more harm reduction and safe supply? Or are we going to actually focus on getting people out of the throes of addiction and getting them into some focused treatment and uh, options that will reintegrate them into society so they can be active members of society instead of living on the fringe uh, on the on the side streets right. in front of a church?
3: What what is the connection between these overdoses and the Canadian Drugs and Substances Strategy, this billion dollar um, uh, federal government uh, drug strategy?
2: Yeah, so an interesting thing that one business owner that I mentioned, uh, he has has run a restaurant there on that particular street, Bridge Street East, for forty five years, same location. And he, I, we asked, you know, how when did you start to see this issue coming? come to a head. And he said about five years ago, which coincides with the Canadian drug and substances strategy. It's a 2017 federal government program that was meant to, you know, reduce the stigma and um, reduce harm of, of substance use and addiction, both on the individuals using, but also their families and subsequently their communities. And what we can comp- continue to find as the data comes out is that this particular strategy that has saw a, a cumulative $1 billion since its inception in 2017. Um, committed to this taxpayer funded strategy has only worked to exacerbate and in most instances actually double opioid related harms and overdose related deaths in the country. So um, if you if you head over to my report, you can find all of this. We have a larger campaign that captures these kinds of stories and it's at fixourcities.com. My most recent report here is Belleville is proof that Trudeau's billion dollar drug strategy has failed. In that report, you can find all the hyperlinks where I source back some government documents. But in Ontario specifically, there were 1,324 opioid and stimulant related deaths in the first half. So this is only the first half of 2023. And in 2016, which was the year before the Canadian Drug and Substance Strategy was launched, there was only 800, I shouldn't say only, but there were 867 deaths that year, 2016. Then the year when this program came into effect, which again was supposed to reduce the harm, reduce the stigma, so on and so forth, reduce the deaths, it nearly doubled. Deaths were up that year to 1,265. And so the proof is in the pudding. You know, you can have former um, health minister, addictions minister, Carolyn Bennett in the House of Commons in May of last year, just becoming totally deranged, saying, we're going to trust the science and we're going to follow the data and we're working to save lives. Well, you can see that the data is out. The data is clear that these this strategy has completely failed and it has not worked to save any lives. In fact, it's done the exact opposite.
3: FixOurCities.com. That's where we can find the reports. That's the one. Great job, Tamara. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Another Christian place of worship set ablaze. Harrison Faulkner from True North has that story next. Stay with us.
5: Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk. Saga 960 AM.
3: All right. Welcome back. On Friday of last week, another Christian place of worship set ablaze this time the blessed sacrament parish Catholic church in Regina, Saskatchewan, 118 year old historic church. And, uh, I believe this brings to, to, um, the, the, 100, the number of churches in Canada, Christian churches that have been vandalized, uh, or desecrated or burnt to the ground since, um, May of 2021 when the, um, The fake news went out about the discovery of mass graves found near a residential school in Kamloops, B.C. Harrison Faulkner is the host of Ratioed and the Faulkner Show at TrueNorthTNC.News. Harrison, welcome back. How are you?
0: Doing well, Richard. Today's a dark day, though, to pass the 100 mark
3: for churches that have been attacked in this country. Has there been one, um, did I read on uh, X just a few moments ago, uh, something about uh, there's been another one even since Friday's uh, fire in, um, in uh, Regina? Yeah,
0: it looks like it actually. There,
3: looks, there appears to be a church in the interior
0: of British Columbia, a log church uh, that was sort of a non-denominational church. It's now been completely burned to the ground. Uh, local media reports have picked that up. We're still trying to figure out what exactly the story is behind it. But the local media is indicating
3: that the RCMP in that area are investigating that fire for an arson as well. Any And in the 101 churches now that have been vandalized, desecrated or burned to the ground, any arrests so far? Any convictions? Well,
0: from what we know, there have been a handful of arrests, a very small handful of people who have been charged for these arsons for this vandalism. Uh, in fact you know one, the van, one, one incidence of vandalism resulted in an arrest but there really seems to be a, a lack of actual accountability here. Few people have been have faced justice for this. Uh, so really all we can see is there's only been a handful of arson charges laid in in connection to these 101 churches. And I think that it's important to stress that when you pass that 80, 90 mark, this is not just, you know, these are not just random incidents. This is clearly connected and it's clearly a problem. And what we saw today in the House of Commons, or rather it was yesterday afternoon in the House of Commons, Richard, I'm not sure if you saw that news. Yes, yeah. It, was, it, it really was a mask off moment for the Liberals and the NDP just to show Canadians how little they care about this,
3: this major scandal. Happening in our country, this awful story. So we had a conservative MP from Saskatchewan yep. seeking a unanimous motion to condemn the uh, the burning of this, uh, not only this church in Regina, Saskatchewan, but churches across Canada. And the liberals and the NDP blocked the unanimous motion. They will not bring themselves to condemn the burning and desecrating and vandalizing of Christian churches. It's astonishing. It
0: really is astonishing. They can't bring themselves to say that it's wrong. Now, keep in mind, this is the exact same parliament that unanimously passed a motion in 2022 condemning Canada for committing acts of genocide against the First Nations uh, people through the residential school program. They can't even be brought to say that actually burning churches is a bad thing and we condemn it. It's It really makes you wonder, what kind of people can't condemn the burning of a church, the destruction of a church? And, and and this scale of it, this is a really dark, dark thing for this country to witness. And for MPs to loudly shout down this motion, keep in mind, they didn't even allow him to finish his sentence before they started shouting no. The second that that MP, Corey Tochore, said, I'm seeking unanimous consent to condemn the burning of a church. He couldn't even finish his sentence, Richard, before you can hear MPs
3: loudly shouting No. It really is astonishing to see dark times. The uh, the burning of the Blessed Sacrament Parish Catholic Church in Regina. This was caught on uh, video. There was like a, a doorbell, I guess, one of those doorbell cameras, and we see this masked individual. This is black and white video footage um, with a with a, a petrol can, I guess. Um, clear as well. Uh, he's wearing a mask, but we see this clear as day. Uh, is there an investigation now underway? Um, Yes. What's the latest? So the police
0: have not updated uh, the public yet on what what the status of the investigation is, other than to say that the investigation is ongoing. They're looking at surveillance footage around the area with whatever surveillance footage was able to be salvaged from the church. Um, And so, you know, the police can obviously see the evidence is quite clear. It's arson. They're now looking for the suspect who's still at large. But that's about it. That's really about it at this moment. Um, It's it's just you know, it's 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 shocking that there have not been more of these arrests. And hopefully this man who did this can be brought to justice. But there's no update other than than to say that they're currently still
3: investigating. Is there any question, any doubt that this is, well, not necessarily coordinated, but but the. The people that are participating in these heinous crimes are radical left activists that are, this is their protest against genocidal Canada.
0: Well, you have to assume that there there, there has to be some motivation behind this. The fact that it is so coordinated, the fact that there have been so many of these, these arson attempts, there has to be some sort of coordination and there has to be some sort of ideology behind it. I think from what we can see, Media, high-profile figures have excused these church burnings. They have justified these church burnings. They've tried everything they can to try and make it seem as though this is not something that we should be seriously concerned about. I, I have to believe that this is a protest a, uh, motivated by a far-left far left activists who believe that this is their way to get back at Canada, that Canada is guilty of genocide, and the only way to, to make their point is to burn down churches. It
3: just, it, it just only seems to be that way right now. Right. And so for those that are continuing to push this false narrative that Canada is genocidal or that, you know, thousands and thousands of indigenous children were murdered in their sleep by Catholic priests and nuns and thrown into an unmarked grave. Those that are pushing that narrative are also responsible for the uh, for the desecration and vandalizing of these churches, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's important
0: for Canadians to remember when we internalize the fact we've reached this grim total of 101 churches. This all started because the legacy media and politicians willfully accepted these falsehoods being spread by First Nations bands who claimed at first that they had found the remains of children in unmarked graves at the sites of former Indian residential schools. The First Nations bands have since themselves walked back those claims and have said that this is ground-penetrating radar. You know, we, we really can't tell. And they refuse to actually excavate any of these findings, supposed findings. The media, however, have not done their due diligence. They've not done their part now to clear up the confusion. Politicians just played right into this narrative, Richard. They threw gasoline on the, on the situation. And as I say, I, I believe they lit the fuse, which has left a trail of burned churches dotting the Canadian landscape now.
3: 101 Christian churches, desecrated, vandalized, burned to the ground in this country uh, in um, less than, well, about two and a half years. And the world is watching. The world is taking note of the anti-Christian tone that is taking grip in this uh, country. Harrison Faulkner, how do we watch Ratioed and the Faulkner Show at True North?
0: You can watch ratioed new episodes come out Monday and Thursday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on YouTube, Rumble, and Facebook if you're still able to access Facebook. And The Faulkner Show is coming out on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. We alternate between each each day, and the next episode is coming out later tonight.
3: TNC.news? TNC.news, that's right. Excellent. Okay, Harrison, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Hour two coming up. Joel Gilbert, political commentator, author of Michelle Obama. Twenty twenty four will be here. We'll find out whether the deep state, the Obama deep state is behind the latest media blitz trying to um, highlight Biden's mental decline and whether Michelle Obama is waiting in the wings to sweep in as the uh, the Democratic nominee for twenty twenty four. Back with hour two of the Richard Sarah show right here on Saga nine sixty. Right after these. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show.
7: I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now
4: and
0: go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore!
7: I ask you not only to win the
3: battle, but to win the war. I'm we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes, if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of
5: fighting. You're out of order. You're out of order. The whole trial is out of order. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature, and you.
3: And welcome to hour two of The Richard Serrett Show. And if you missed hour one, you missed a lot, but don't despair. Still plenty of great programming coming your way this hour, including Jason Nelson, disabled U.S. Army and Marine veteran and former congressional candidate. He's the uh, co-founder of Prepper All Naturals. And um, he he joins us every Tuesday. Last order of business is uh, we talk survivalism, how to be prepared. Actually, he calls it survivalism. He doesn't want you just to survive. He wants you to thrive in an emergency. Jason Nelson will tell us how. Uh, Also, Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, uh, joins us once again. Yesterday, he was... Sort of singing the praises of Doug Ford's government here in Ontario because he's freezing a uh, hike in the beer tax. Um, I thought that was a little much. <laughs> if he was cutting the tax, he would be worthy of maybe some mild applause, but he's simply holding the line. However, now Jay is si- sounding the alarms because a parliamentary budget office report is sounding an alarm about uh, Ontario's finances and how our deficit spending is just spiraling out of control. Jay Goldberg. We'll be here um, last uh, last Thursday, a, a special counsel in the US uh, basically said there would be no criminal charges brought against sleepy Joe Biden for his handling of classified documents outside a secure setting. Yeah, like his garage where Hunter was staying. His garage where a a coke addled fraudster had complete access to classified documents. Anyway, the special counsel said there would be no point in uh, convicting Grampy Joe Biden because there's no way they could get a jury to convict this this old man with a poor memory. And um, that has led to some speculation that the Obama deep state actually is behind this. They're trying to get Joe Biden out of the way so that they can make room for You guessed it. Michelle Obama. Joel Gilbert is a political commentator, foreign policy analyst and author of Michelle Obama, 2024, her real life story and plan for power. He's also producer and director of the documentary of the same name. Joel, welcome back. How are you?
1: Hey, great to be back with you. Thank you.
3: Uh, I know that um, Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick is uh, uh, sort of also pushing this theory, and I think it has some credibility, this idea that the Obama deep state are really trying to set Joe Biden up, take him out so that they can clear the the path for someone who can maybe even have a a chance at beating Donald Trump. First of all, let me get you to respond to that before we get into Michelle Obama. Do you think that the Obama deep state is behind Uh, this uh, and and embarrassing uh, Biden, putting him out there on that press conference and making him look really bad.
1: I think uh, the people that are criticizing Joe Biden now, people like David Axelrod um, and others are really from Team Obama, the real hardcore Obama supporters. There is an eerie, eerie similarity to what's going on right now uh, to how Obama ran for office in Chicago when he ran for state Senate in Illinois. And when he ran for U.S. Senate, uh, he eliminated his opponents prior to the elections. By the time the election came around, there was no competition. And the way they're treating Joe Biden and Donald Trump uh, is just an eerie similarity to the way Obama does business in Illinois, is uh, embarrass, imprison, uh, and whack out your opponents before the election even comes around. And that leads me to think that there's got to be a reason they're doing that. And to me, it looks like they're paving the way for Michelle.
3: Right. When you look at the the special counsel uh, uh, looking into the, the Biden's handling of these classified documents and he goes into such detail like mentioning that Joe Biden couldn't remember the the uh, the timing or the year that his son, his own son died. He couldn't remember when he was vice president. That struck me as very odd that he would include that um, and the only reason I could think of is, well, yeah, obviously he's trying to, you know, he's trying to raise the uh, the red flag and the alarms about, yeah,
1: about I think, Biden's state. Yeah, I think he's trying to raise the alarm. I'm sure he was, uh, you know, frustrated by the idea that Biden said he would cooperate. And then when he gets in there for an interview, he can't remember anything, including these basic facts about his life. And what made it even more stark is that Biden held this press conference. He started out by saying, hey, uh My memory is great. I don't have a bad memory. Uh, I asked the president of Mexico to open the Gaza border. Mm -hmm. Out there they say, I don't know when my son died. I've got this rosary from the lady of, uh, 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 well, anyway. So he kind of just reinforced uh, what the special counsel was saying about his ability to recall things with this press conference. I thought it was a disaster.
3: Yeah, and he could have been, if those around him had truly wanted to Uh, protect him they wouldn't have called that press conference he would have issued a statement from the white house no questions asked and and moved on but they it seems like they were Uh, i think they put him in the line of fire
1: uh, well i would say that uh it was a very serious and damning report and the way politics works is you want to get out ahead of it and respond to it right away to see if you could put a kibosh on it uh half of it was successful uh joe biden read a prepared statement that was a pretty good statement kind of he said, uh, this case is closed. According to the report, I didn't do anything wrong. All that was lies. He he said things that were total lies. He said, all the classified material was under lock and key. Not true. He said, uh, I was completely exonerated. No wrongdoing. Not true. But so he kind of came out with a statement, at least, that the leftist media could quote him and show him on TV uh, saying it's all case closed. It's no big deal here. So that part was good. But it would have been too... Uh, awkward to then run off the stage without taking a few questions so he attempted to take a few questions and he got destroyed even by cnn of all people cnn the mj lee from cnn i thought destroyed him she said you know mr president you said that any democrat could beat donald trump uh, why does it have to be you why now how's your memory so that's when it all fell apart i don't think it was intentional but he certainly looked like a crotchety old angry uh, man with with a bad memory in that press conference
3: Right, and uh you mentioned cnn it, it it also seems coordinated now with the media piling on, even ultra lib John Stewart is now making fun of joe biden's memory, so this is it really seems coordinated uh, they've got the media party on on board with this
1: well, John Stewart is on team Obama. just know, know that he was always on team Obama. He used to go to the White House regularly during the Obama years to help them reinforce their narratives and attack any opponents to anything that Trump said. Uh, that Obama said. So that's another sign that Team Obama is uh, trying to jettison uh, Joe Biden to clear the way for Michelle Obama. They look, they made the DNC, the Democrat National Convention is in Chicago of all places, Michelle's mm-hmm. hometown. I think they're setting up a coronation for August with Michelle. OK, uh, so let's get to that. Carl um, Rove,
3: um, who is about as uh, never Trump as you can get uh, and about as rhino as you can get. Uh, along with, you know, um, Mitch McConnell, uh, basically said that that's a uh, that's a uh, a mega, cons- um, a mega fantasy. This idea that Michelle Obama is going to swoop in and be uh, named the nominee. He says she has less than zero interest. She hates politics. But you, you've heard all of this before. I know. How do you respond to to Karl oh, Rove yeah. and others who say she has no interest
1: yeah, Karl Rove has not been relevant in 20 years. He sits on Fox News with a little little chalkboard because he can't remember what to say. So uh, Karl Rove, interestingly, he did, in his most recent appearance with Varney, very strongly said Biden will not be the nominee. It's not going to be Biden. Now, instead of saying, well, who's the best-loved Democrat? Who's the Democrat that can raise $100 million in a week? Who's the Democrat who's a pop culture phenomenon that can fill up stadiums? Who's the Democrat that is so political that... Uh, You know, she used to speak to stadiums back in 2008. It's Michelle Obama, of course, but he foolishly has fallen for this line uh, that you hear a lot in the media that Michelle doesn't like politics. She says, I don't like politics. Well, all politicians don't like politics. They just put up with it because they like the power and the celebrity. I make the case in my film and book Michelle Obama 2024. By the way, you can get them on Amazon. Watch it on Amazon Prime Video or SalemNow.com. But I make the case that Michelle is a better politician than Barack. She's a better speaker. She comes across more authentic. She's from a political family. She you know her father was a precinct captain in Chicago working for the Democrat uh, Party machine. Since she was four years old, she was politicking with her father in the neighborhood. Michelle grew up in Jesse Jackson's house. She was best friend with his daughter, Santita, when Jackson was running for president. So she's been around politics her whole life. She married a politician. She married her father. She participated in Barack's uh, campaign. She was his campaign treasurer when he ran for state Senate in Illinois. She was with him for the U.S. Senate for running for president. She gave speeches every night. She was the biggest campaign surrogate on her own. She would go to Iowa, New Hampshire. She would speak to stadiums. And she was so nasty and anti-American in her speeches. She'd say things like, you can't pay your mortgage. Don't get sick in this country. You can't afford childcare." She went over the top one night and said, For the first time in my life, I'm proud of my country because Barack won a primary. And that's when the media started paying attention. Like, wow, she is really nasty. Now, she said a lot worse things than that. But that's when the Obama campaign told her, they said, look, we could lose because of you. People are going to hate you like they hate Hillary. So the next day she got a speechwriter and she went on The View and said, oh, uh, I don't like politics. I just want to be the mom in chief. And she kind of took a step back from being in the public eye. But she was the co-candidate. I've got her on tape in my film. She says she would talk in these speeches, Barack and I, when we get into the White House, our campaign and what we're going to do, she was a co-candidate. So they put out that cover story, which unfortunately people like Karl Rove still pick up on and seem to think it's real. It's not real. Michelle is a political animal. And uh, I make the case also in my film. I show you how she's been preparing to run for president by copying everything Barack did before he ran for president. Barack was the keynote speaker who introduced John Kerry at the 2004 Democrat Convention. Sure enough, there was Michelle introducing Joe Biden at the 2020 Convention. Barack wrote two autobiographies before he ran for president. Dreams from My Father and the Audacity of Hope. Sure enough, Michelle spent the last couple years writing two autobiographies, uh, Becoming and The Light We Carry. They're both also on Netflix. And Barack founded a voter registration organization in Chicago called Project Vote to get his street cred working for the party. Sure enough, Michelle started when we all vote, got $26 million from George Soros, and she's been running around registering people. So she's exactly copying everything Barack did to run for president, and I'm convinced that she's going to run, and people like Karl Rove, who have been fooled by this idea that she doesn't like politics, are just not paying attention. Joe Gilbert,
3: political commentator, foreign policy analyst, and author of Michelle Obama 2024, her real life story and plan for power, also producer, director of the documentary of the same name. Back to more of our conversation after this timeout on Saga 960.
5: Welcome back to the Richard Serra Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM.
3: Will Michelle Obama be the nominee for the Democrats in 2024? Joel Gilbert, political commentator, foreign policy analyst, author of Michelle Obama 2024, her real life story and plan for power and uh, the documentary of the same name available. uh, That's at Amazon. And uh, Joel, so uh, to get rid of Biden, how is this going to happen? Is it going to be cabinet members with the 25th Amendment or are they going to uh, are they going to get maybe a member of Biden's family, like maybe his sister, to, you know, to tell him it's time to go? Or are they going to do like it uh, was it Barry Goldwater and some senators with Nixon in 73 said, you know, Dickie, your time is up. Is that how it's going to happen?
1: There's a few different issues at play. Number one, uh, Biden wants to remain president. I don't think he wants to step down. He needs to keep the pardon power for Hunter and for himself, for the various crimes his whole crime family committed. Uh, as well as uh, deal with any impeachment that may come up. I think he will be impeached by the House for uh, money laundering, for taking bribes from adversaries like China, Russia, you name it. And Hunter will probably also get charged and, and be in more legal trouble. So there's a lot of negativity legally coming Biden's way. Uh, his He's now completely exposed, uh, whereas it was kind of ignored in the past, his uh, mumbling and saying things that weren't true and uh, stumbling somehow the media propped up Biden and got him over those incidents. Now it's, it's over. Every time he talks and opens his mouth and shuffles around and falls down, it's going to be amplified even more. So I think things are going to get a lot worse for Biden over the next few months. I do see at some point, um, him dropping out or being told to drop out or forced to drop out. The way it works is if someone drops out of the race, After they get all the delegates in their favor or they die, it's the uh, Democrat National Committee, 200 people, state officials around the country that then choose the nominee. The delegates are then canceled. So I can see the scenario possibly going all the way to the convention where Biden will be forced and told by those people that have enough information on him to let him know that if you run and if you win, you're going to be impeached, you're going to be in prison, you better go ahead and drop out now and pardon yourself I think that's going to happen. And you can just see by all the Obama sycophants uh, lining up the direction this is all headed. Well, how do they get rid of Kamala?
3: Because she's number two.
1: They don't have to get rid of Kamala. People overestimate Kamala. Kamala is, first of all, I think white people mistakenly think that she's African-American. She's not African-American. Her mother's from India. Her father's from Jamaica. And she grew up in Canada and married a white Jewish guy. So if you're an African American let's say living in uh, Atlanta you're not thinking that Kamala has any common experiences with you or common history with you there's nothing about her that's African American she doesn't have that core voting group that's why she never even made it to the first primary when she ran for president so i think Kamala is just you just ignore her she has no supporters she's very uncapable. she's less popular than Biden i don't think she's any problem whatsoever but but if 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 Biden resigns
3: Isn't she automatically president?
1: I don't see Biden resigning. I I think he will drop out of the 2024 presidential race, paving the way for Michelle Obama to Uh get the nomination. But I I can see, you know, Biden hanging on till the end of his term, uh, but not being the nominee for reelection for the Democrats. How does um, Michelle Obama and uh,
3: Donald Trump match up in the Are Any polling on that? How that would uh, how that face off would work or look like?
1: I'll tell you what, uh, (laughs) for whatever reason, there hasn't been straight-up polling uh, in that manner. You always see, like, the best Democrat or which Democrat, a group of Democrats. Uh, There's never been a straight-up poll by a serious uh, polling organization. But Michelle is a pop culture phenomenon. She's the best-loved Democrat. She's the most popular person in the country. She can fill up stadiums. I mean, I went to uh, this talk where Oprah interviewed her about her book, Last year, here at YouTube Stadium in Los Angeles, six thousand seats. I went two hours early, thinking I would relax and walk around a little bit and check some things out. Two hours early, people were lined up for two miles, and they they all had tickets. They had tickets in advance, but they lined up for two hours, and people sang and danced and called her name. She's a real pop culture uh, hero, and uh, I think uh, she would be a formidable for for trump to to deal with, and she'd probably be leading in all the polls. Uh, we have a problem in this country of uh, people that stuff ballots. I live in California, for example, and uh, 22 million people got the primary ballots, including myself, uh, last week for a presidential primary, and it's all mail-in or drop boxes. It says, here's a list of 38 drop boxes within a mile of your house. But what happens is 20, 22 million ballots are sent out, and there's no way to know who filled them out, no way to know any ID and no way to audit the election afterwards, because people just stuff them in these drop boxes. So Michelle brings something called plausibility. If Biden were to win the election against Trump, no one would believe it. They'd say, well, they stuff ballots. If Michelle wins the election, we would say, well, she's so popular, I guess I believe it. You'd kind of accept right. it. Right. So Michelle brings that to the table. But I do talk about in my film, and my book. Michelle's biggest vulnerabilities. She is vulnerable. And her biggest vulnerability is, (coughs) excuse me, her terrible relationship with the black community in Chicago. Uh, Michelle exploited the black community in Chicago as an adult. She worked for the mayor of Chicago. She kicked 20,000 black people out of their homes at the projects at Cabrini-Green. Whenever white liberals had a problem with the black community and they couldn't hire a white person to do the dirty work, they would hire Michelle, a black person who could do the dirty work against the black community. Michelle also working at the University of Chicago Medical Center, her job was to kick black people out of the emergency room. If they showed up, Michelle would put them in a van and dump them back on the south side at these crappy clinics in these strip malls. Michelle said, it's going to be good for you. So Michelle has a terrible history. Uh, The Democrats need about 90% of the black vote to get their people elected. And I think black voters are no fools. If they saw my film and understood how Michelle exploited the black community for money, I don't think they would get her support. Well, I hope uh your documentary
3: and or your book ends up um in Donald Trump's camp so that that can be used should he face off against her in the uh, in the debates. Uh I hope he's properly uh armed. Joel, thank you so much. Well, the way, oh, go ahead. Yeah, Ask the way me. he
1: needs yeah, the way he needs to attack it is the same. he if he just tweeted out every day if he tweeted Michelle are you going to apologize for what you did to the black community in Chicago? Are you going to apologize for denying them access to health care? Uh, that would open up a whole can of worms. So that's her biggest vulnerability. And uh, But it may be, if, if it goes all the way up to the convention, you're only talking about 10 weeks till the election. It's going to be very hard to overcome Michelle's uh, popularity with the media behind her, accusing anyone who disagrees with her uh, of being racist and uh, sexist if you don't agree with her. So uh, I think it's coming. Joel,
3: uh I think you might be right. And that's what that really has me nervous. Joel Gilbert, political commentator, foreign policy analyst, author of Michelle Obama, 2024, her real life story and plan for power. The documentary of the same name, both available at Amazon. Thank you so much again, Joel. All right. Thanks again. All right. When we come back, Jay Goldberg is keeping an eye on your money. Stay tuned for that. The Bull Session
5: continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 a.m.,
0: You'll forgive me if I don't think about monetary policy. The budget will balance itself. The fastest rising interest rates in 30 years. Fastest inflation in four decades. When will the government realize that Canadians are out of money and the party's over?
3: All right, Jay Goldberg, Ontario, director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, Uh, was here yesterday sort of singing the praises of Doug Ford because he was holding the line on uh, the beer tax, the provincial beer tax. He hasn't hiked it since uh, 2018 so you know maybe a little a smattering of applause for that however now it's time to sound the alarms uh, and the canadian taxpayers federation is calling on ford to fix ontario's finances in light of a new report from the parliamentary budget office hey jay how are you
7: doing well great to be with you
3: how quickly the tides have turned yesterday, <laughs> mattering of applause today, um, not so impressed with Doug Ford. So what is the what is the um, uh, Financial Accountability Office reports saying about our finances here in Ontario?
7: Uh, it's not saying good things. And, you know, they say a week is a long time in politics, but it turns out 24 hours is also a long time in politics. Uh, but it's not good. It's not good. What we're looking at is the deficit going up next year compared to this year, which is something we were told would not happen. And the financial accountability office is showing as well that, uh, that uh, it's going to take the government a year longer then they said just 3 months ago to balance the budget and 2 years longer than what they said last spring last spring they said we'll balance the budget in 2024 now it's looking like 2026 and they've announced just since last spring 35 billion dollars of new spending over the next 5 years so the spending is out of control
3: so let's get serious they're not going to balance the budget next year or or sorry in 26 27 either are they
7: Well, you know, the fear is they keep pushing it back and pushing it back and pushing it back. And, you know, I was asked today and I had to say Doug Ford has added more debt to the province of Ontario's balance sheet than Kathleen Wynne. I have to say it. it, It's a fact. He has added 80 billion dollars to this province's debt load. And I actually went back today and looked at Kathleen Wynne's final budget and what her projections were for what government would be spending this year. $17 $17 billion lower than what Ford is spending this year. And I'm not going to say, of course, Kathleen Wynn would have spent more money. Uh, she wouldn't have stuck with her uh, timeline that she was giving us six years ago. Of course, they would have spent more money. But this just goes to show you, even from the baseline Kathleen Wynn budget, he's blowing it out of the water. So um-
3: – what what's the low hanging fruit here? How could he quickly turn things around? And and um, I I have a suspicion you're going to say all he has to do is hold the line
7: on last, you know, with last year's spending and he could probably balance the budget. Right. He could easily do that. He could hold the line on spending and balance the budget. They could get rid of this this new Ontario Infrastructure Bank, which is modeled off of the federal one that did so terribly that could save three billion dollars. And frankly, they've increased in the last six years government spending by $25 billion over and above the rate of inflation. If you did a very short value for money audit, as he wanted to impose on some cities in Ontario, but then swiftly canceled because he didn't want to find out what the results were. But if we did an actual top to bottom audit, you would easily be able to find the $6.2 billion needed to balance the books. But that's not happening because this is just another government that talked a good game when they were running for office and, and is more of the same.
3: All right. Very quickly, um, at the same time, you also want to applaud, applaud Ford's government because <laughs> he's proposing a referendum uh, that would be required. He's going to introduce legislation where a referendum would be required before any future provincial carbon taxes are introduced. Isn't that – Closing the proverbial barn door after the horse is bolted. We already have uh, carbon taxes on top of
7: carbon taxes. Now he wants to introduce a referendum. Well, yes, but the important thing is there will be a federal election by that latest 2025, fall of 2025. I think what Doug Ford is thinking here is if Pierre Polyev is elected in 2025, he could very well repeal the federal carbon tax in 2025. Ontario next goes to the polls in 2026. So you actually could have a provincial election next time where there is no federal carbon tax anymore. And what he's trying to lock in is saying if the liberals or the NDP get in at the provincial level, you have to hold a referendum on whether or not you want to bring in a carbon tax before you actually do. Now, I think that's actually an important thing to have on the books. And the only reason this would matter is if the liberals are voted out federally in the next election. Of course, in the next year year or two, it doesn't matter because we have the liberal regime in Ottawa. But if that changes, this all of a sudden becomes relevant. Mm. Don't worry. I mean, he could have done that when he first came to power.
3: I mean, didn't he? I mean, he seemed to be all about axing the carbon tax. But then um, he sort of introduced a, a version of his own anyway, didn't he?
7: Well, I mean, we don't have a a consumer carbon tax here in Ontario. He was pretty steadfast against this. He repealed a Kathleen Wynne's cap and trade carbon tax. So on carbon taxes, Ford has done relatively well. But I think you make a very good point in saying as soon as he repealed the cap and trade system that Kathleen Wynne had in place, he could have put this in to begin with. I think for this to actually have more impact – He should model this off of Alberta's Taxpayer Protection Act so that you have to have a referendum not just for whether or not you want a carbon tax, but put in place a system where you need a referendum to raise the sales tax or the income tax. Those would be two very important additional things that he could add to this legislation that would really hold the Liberals or the NDP feet to the fire if they're elected in twenty six
3: jake Goldberg, ontario director of the canadian taxpayers federation taxpayer.com taxpayer.com check out the newsroom all right jake great work as always thank you so much thank you when we come back the sir thrivalist jason nelson joins us stay tuned
5: just having a little chinwag on the richard sarit show news talk saga 960 a.m
3: Welcome back. And before we get to our good friend, Jason Nelson here, let me ask you, you know, we don't always have the opportunity to choose the people we work with that share our values. But when we could, don't you think we should? Absolutely, we should. So stop working with woke banks and big financial institutions that don't share any of your values. And give our friends at Rocklink Investment Partners a call. Rocklink is proudly Canadian and proudly conservative. They offer a genuinely unique investment approach in the crowded money management space. And they love working with like-minded folks that share your passion uh, for ending the liberal and woke insanity that's destroying our country. So give Rocklink a call. Don't delay. 905-631-5462. 905-631-5462. I did, and now I'm a client. You can also email at info at rocklink.com. Info at rocklink.com. That's rocklink with a C. -C R-O-C-K-L-I-N-C. All right. Every uh, Tuesday at this time, we're uh, here to help uh, prepare you for the uh, eventuality when the lights go out for a very long time. It could be a natural disaster. It could be a a breakdown in civil order. It could be World War III, but um, we're going to help you. And Jason Nelson is co-founder of Prepper All Naturals, U.S. Army and Marine veteran and a former congressional candidate. Jason, welcome back. How are you? I'm, I'm
4: excellent, brother. I just got to see the uh, ultrasound of my fifth child. So uh, as you can imagine, I'm extremely excited and happy and um, lucky that I don't know the difference between a boy and a girl when they're in that uh, in utero state because we're not supposed to know. And I um, I did try to check, but I, I, I can't tell. But it's just a wonderful
3: day. How are you? Oh, doing? God bless you. That's wonderful news. Number five to the Nelson family. Fantastic. I'm great. Thank you. So we've been sort of working our way through Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We're talking about your physiological needs. That's the the, the the base of the pyramid, talking about, you know, fresh water. But what we were talking about the last time we spoke was making that decision whether, you know, in the eventuality there is a breakdown in civil order or, you know, um, the lights go out, infrastructure's, you know, just down for a long time. Do you stay put Particularly if you live in the suburbs, how do you, you know, how are you going to sustain yourself if you're in the suburbs? You don't have an acre of land to grow a, a victory garden. Uh, or do you, you know, do you, uh, do you do you bolt for the country? Maybe you've got relatives out in the country. And we were talking about one of the things that you make use to make that decision is, well, you look around in the suburbs and you you got to have support. you got to have community. You've got to know a guy. you got to know a doctor. You've got to know a dentist. Uh, Maybe you got to know somebody who can repair uh, a generator, these sorts of things, right?
4: Well, yeah, so here's one of the things that we were talking about last week, and that, that is the idea of fight or flight. Right. So where do I stand and when do I make the decision of uh fight as in, you know, keep my homestead, keep my home or flight, which, as you mentioned, could be whether you're going out in the, the country or, quite frankly, scavenging or or trying to find your way to safety because you never know what kind of disaster. Again, the hard part about preparing for disaster or even talking about it is that you have to use such a broad brush, because, folks, if you're listening this is so unique to your situation, and you have to keep remembering and applying lessons that we talk about and saying, hey, how does this apply to me personally? So uh, I was thinking, Richard, today, let's talk about the uh, what I would call, you and I would call a go bag. Are you familiar yes. with that term?
3: Oh, yes. Okay. Yes.
4: So uh, I think that Let's quit Call, uh, why are we going to start there? We're going to start there because a go bag is usually two to five days of of supplies. Uh, it's usually hyper-focused on your most basic needs. And it's the type of thing that will allow you to make a quick transport. But more importantly, it's a great in- introduction to prepping. It's very easy to sit here and say, oh, go buy a bunch of food or go buy this product or that product. So much of that is dependent on the situation that you're in and the situation you'll face that that it's almost impossible to begin prepping and you can feel overwhelmed. So let's talk about what you might need in your go bag. And when we say this again, remember, you're talking about very specific people. So uh, if you've got uh, a kid with, an, with a, an asthma inhaler, when we talk about medication, We're including that, but the space you need for that, you know, if you've got little children and who can carry what, these are things that are very particular to you. But we can hit this in broad uh, brushes, Richard. I think
3: this is uh, an excellent place to start. So what's in your bag? In my go bag? Well, I'm embarrassed. Yes. I don't have a go bag yet, but I should get one. And I'm going to I'm going to take notes here. Okay. So
4: great. That's, that's okay. No, it's okay because the, the first part of, of any road to improvement is admitting that, that you're not there yet. Right. So that's okay. So, uh, first thing, then let's go with the basics. Um, your bag. What is your bag, right? Uh what kind of bag are you carrying? So let's go with a standard uh, uh rucksack and say that you need to carry 30 to 40 pounds worth of stuff. Folks, have you put 30 to 40 pounds inside of a little Coleman backpack and tried to carry it around and see uh to see what that feels like? Have you tried to put items inside of there? Um so one of the things that you're going to want to look at is whether or not you have a framed uh, r- a rucksack or what somebody might call a, a hiking pack right. uh, or whether or not you're going to be able to distribute the things you need because you're able to get certain items and 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 put them down into a uh, uh, multiple packs that you spread around your stuff. I, I recommend a framed bag that's durable. Uh, and one that you can break apart easily and eliminate the frame. So usually it's what's known as a split bag given upper and a lower bag. Uh, that also allows uh, if you have uh, leave a bag open, you don't ruin everything open that's inside of there so you can divvy things up. Okay. All right, you Jason, I'm gonna
3: attention. jump in. Jump All in right, right here. We're gonna take a timeout. We'll come back and we'll continue to discuss uh, the go bag. Jason Nelson, co-founder of Prepper All Naturals, Prepperbeef.com, Prepperbeef.com, back with more of our conversation in three minutes.
5: Let's rejoin the conversation on the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga, 960
3: a.m. Jason Nelson is with us, the Sir Thrivalist, and he is the co-founder of Prepper All Naturals, U.S. Army and Marine Vets, former congressional candidate, PrepperBeef.com. Not available in Canada, but uh, for my American listeners, check it out, PrepperBeef.com. We're talking about a go bag. You're saying a rucksack. It's got kind of a, an aluminum-type frame. Uh, you're going to have to carry around 30 to 40 pounds. That's for the adults If you've got like you're about to welcome number five into the into the family, if you've got children that are capable, should they also have their own go bag?
4: Whenever possible, you should divide up gear. But what you should do is assume any child below the age of twelve, and and that again, all of this is very. Dependent on how you know your children, right? If you got an outdoorsy kid and they, and they're capable, you, you, you can work that to them. But anyone that's under the age of 12, you should assume anything they're carrying that you're going to end up carrying it. And anyone who's under the age of, uh, uh, roughly six, you need to assume you're carrying them. So when you talk about go bag again for us, we have, uh, we have a go sled. Uh, not just a go bag, you know we have ready to push and 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 get the little ones in there and and be able to carry what we need to carry, but of course, obviously, everybody has uh, different needs right so um go bags right you're what you're really thinking here along the terms again, we could go right back down to the basics and Maslow 's hierarchy of needs, obviously you 're going to need food and water, but in the instances of a go bag uh you're talking about less than a week's worth of food, so um You're talking about the ability more to filter water. You can't care. Water is way too heavy carry. You need to have enough for emergencies. You need to have, um, you know, about a gallon of water. A great way to do that is through a camelback that's inserted inside the pack. Um, you can, uh, and then, but you need to have a water filtration system of some type. So there are life straws. Uh, which are very small, but again, when you're stopping at the side of a stream and just trying to make sure that you're not drinking sludge or giving yourself some sort of bacteria, that's great. But if you're setting up camp and you need to do some sort of uh, of uh, uh, obviously taking care of your hygiene, of uh, being able to prepare food, you're going to need um, some sort of reverse osmosis machine that breaks down. Those are. Um, Moderate to uh, expensive, depending on what your budget is, but you can get a moderately priced one for anywhere from 150 to 200 dollars. That uh, won't generate a lot of water, but again, you're not going to be traveling as much as you'd like to pretend you will.
3: How would they power? Um, so how, then, how do they work? Say again. How do they work? Reverse osmosis.
4: Okay. They they're, they're reverse osmosis. They work. They just you don't plug them in. You just put the water in them, and it just sucks the water up through the filter, the coal filter, and drops it down. It's gravity powered.
3: There you go. Okay.
4: Sorry, I should have said just gravity powered. There you go. So um, when we look at that, uh, where you want to go from there when you uh, talk about um, uh, medicine, and I know that we've pushed off medicine and clothing on Maslow's hierarchy of needs because uh, we want to focus on food because that's your long-term storage, right? But for a go bag, this takes a much higher priority, right? You need to have a med kit. And I should stop right here and preface all of this. Folks, um, if you go out and and get – Food stuffs. You're going to separate it between multiple bags. You're not going to carry anything that's a waste, right? But when you start talking about all these other things, your Ziploc baggie is your best friend. You need to separate all of your durables, all of your perishables, and you need to, your, 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 uh, whatever version of Ziploc bag you have, that's your best friend. It, uh, sucks the air out of things. It consolidates items. It keeps them from spoiling or contaminating each other. And, um, and more importantly, it makes it easier for you to identify things when you're in a hurry and you need to be able to grab them. Why am I talking about this? We're talking about medicine right now. And and Richard at any point warned me when we got ahead head into a break or anything, but, um, got about, on five your minutes
3: got about five minutes. Great.
4: Okay. So medicines are real important folks. There's a number of companies out there. I'm, I am not paid by anybody and Richard might be, so I'm not going to mention any of them. Uh, but that said, <laughs> uh, the fact is, is that there are many, many, uh, whether you want to go with homeopathic or whether you want to go with, uh, uh, um, uh, corporate produce doesn't matter. fact of the matter is, is there are many antibiotics that you can get. Um, it's very hard to get your prescribed medicines because insurance companies are very difficult, notorious. They only want to prepay in advance for X amount of days. But if you've got a necessary medicine that keeps you alive and you do not have a 60 to 90 day supply ready in your go bag, then you don't have that medicine. I'm going to repeat that. If you don't have a 60 to 90 day supply in your go bag that's spare to go with you, of whatever medicine sustain your life, you don't have that medicine. Just pretend you don't have it because that's a fact. So you can work ahead. You can get a medical kit put together as well. So what are you what are you preparing for here? You're preparing for things that will inhibit your movement. It's a go back. It means you are actively doing something. You are moving. So what you want to think about are things like what if someone sprains their ankle? What if someone turns? So you need uh, immobilizing casts. You need uh, things that you can wash out wounds and treat wounds and keep movement. You need to, like if you were in a, uh, uh, you had your car and your car got, gotten into an accident you had to leave the vehicle but you need to keep people from getting infections things that would slow you down so medicine is very important but it's both sides it's first aid and it's life-sustaining and for a lot of people out there you are dependent on medications that right now you would say hey i could do without that medication well if you looked at the bottle and asked yourself what happens if you suddenly go off that medication what are the side effects what are they how can that impact you because if you haven't done that then once again it's as if you don't have that medication and you're going to experience every one of those side effects while you're trying to do the verb go.
3: Right. Wow. OK, a lot to think about, a lot of planning. Um, do you have to um, revisit your your um, your go bag periodically because obviously things, you know, expire? Uh, how often are you going and checking your go bag and, and recycling recycling cycling things?
4: I I put my go bag on my alternate cycle for my weapons cleaning. So I uh do my weapons cleaning uh weekly. And then every other week when I do my weapons cleaning, I go through my go bag. I'm making sure there's no mold. I'm making sure that nothing's gotten into it. I'm making sure all the food is at the current date. I'm making sure all medications haven't spoiled. uh We haven't had any changes. With growing children, we have to change the clothing. And since you need two changes of clothing for every person, that's uh, a lot of planning ahead. Um, You know, we sort of pre-planned and have those bags ready to switch. Uh, and we just do that, you know, based on the months, but, uh, you know, you have to consider weather, uh, obviously your winter versus summer. And again, these are go bags. These are not, I'm going to live forever out in the wild bags.
3: And where do you keep them?
4: We keep them. Uh, and we have a closet that's right by the door is again, go bag, Right. And we even actually, that's where we keep our second spare set of keys, uh, because we don't need those keys. Usually everybody has a second set. Ours are attached to our go bag. I mean, right. it's just how you—you you have to think everything. You got two minutes. What are you going to do?
3: All right, maybe next time um, we can talk about where are you going to go. You got a go bag. Where are you headed to? Right. Exactly. That's a good. great point. All right, we'll do that. Jason Nelson, co-founder of Prepper All Naturals, U.S. Army Marine veteran, former congressional candidate, and uh, check out PrepperBeef.com. Prepper Beef. I'm going to go get my go bag ready right now. Thank you so much, Jason. Appreciate it. Thanks, Richard. We'll talk again next week. All right. That is it for me. My thanks to Jody and Jacob. I will be back tomorrow to do it all over again. God willing, I'll speak with you at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken.